0: Welcome to Shorties, a short true crime story.
1: Hello. Hello. It's uh season two of Shorty's. Yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> Just yes, so, so is. you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's season two. Season two is upon us. It was nice to take a little break and um, I felt fully like refreshed to jump back into like the most depressing week of stories that I've ever researched or written. Me too.
0: <laughs> yeah. You came back from some very luxurious vacations and then just promptly locked yourself in the room and started reading everything right, you could murder. on murder.
1: <laughs> it's so funny. Cause I took a camper van up, um, highway one and it's not the best activity to do if you have a murder podcast. No, <laughs> we'll say that.
0: No, no. <laughs> um, I've, but you made it. But I made it. I'm here. <laughs> it was really fun. I'll do it again. Okay. So today I'm doing the story of Vincent Chin. Okay. It's that name's ringing bells. Is it because I told you yesterday? Is I'm it because you literally today?
1: texted? It's like when people put up like a, a headshot and then like the sketch. Yeah. And then it puts things in people's idea yeah. or heads. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm always paranoid that we're going to like spend all this time writing our stories only to sit down and then be like. Oh my God, we're doing the same story. But realistically, we could make it into some sort of like, you know, a necessary
1: competition of like who wore it best, you know, and then we can both tell it. Oh, I would lose, (laughs) but but I would put myself up to it. I don't know. I I would do it. I
0: don't know if our, would we cry? Would our friendship survive?
1: (laughs) I like to hurt my own feelings sometimes. So I think I could do it. (laughs) I've been
0: training for this. Okay. So it's Saturday, June 19th, 1982. We are at a strip club in the Highland Park area of Detroit called Fancy Pants Lounge. I just like
1: that we are at. I'm like, all right, we're there. Fancy we are Pants there. Lounge. Put <laughs> yourself
0: in the story. I have
1: already. I see it right <laughs> you before can my see it eyes. Clearly, yeah.
0: A 27-year-old Oak Park resident named Vincent Chin is there with a group of his friends to celebrate his upcoming wedding. Vincent and his fiance Victoria Wong were getting married in just a few days. Probably not the best time for me to say that um, if you're my future husband listening to this, I would not like you to go to
1: Fancy Pants Lounge or, a few days before our wedding or any strip club, really.
0: I'm just going to go ahead and put this out there for, <laughs> for anyone for, listening. Anyone listening who might be curious, I don't want you to really <laughs> do a strip don't club. do it. I really don't understand that tradition. Like, why do you want, why do you want to cause
1: a fright? Or cause a fright? Well, fright. <laughs> why do you want to cause a fright in me? And why do you want to cause, cause a fight in us? <laughs> I can't speak. <laughs> You're so flustered and this is not even your life. I'm
0: invested for her now. Yeah. No, I just don't get... I, it's stupid. I, you know, whatever. Anyways. Based on several eyewitness accounts, Vincent and his group of friends were at one end of the bar minding their own business. And this club didn't serve alcohol, but it was evident that almost all the patrons were heavily intoxicated anyways. So how this night took a turn for the worse depends on who you ask, but... It seems that a white dancer and a black dancer were performing on an elevated stage above the bar, and when the song ended, Vincent allegedly gave the white dancer a large tip and then gave a smaller one to the black dancer. This alleged tipping discrepancy angered another patron who was sitting nearby, 43-year-old Chrysler employee Ronald Evans. Ronald was there with his stepson, 22-year-old Michael Nitz, who had recently lost his job at Chrysler. He was now working part-time at a furniture store and going to school. Nothing like bringing your friggin' stepson to a strip club? Is that the most disgusting thing you've ever but heard i'm also, like this is so men are disgusting i hate men but also
1: a strip club that doesn't serve alcohol like you have to be like like a lunatic to go to a, a strip club sober there's something about that that i'm like red flag
0: red flag well i thought that was odd but i don't know i'm just not familiar with it so i don't know if that is common to, i don't think so to serve alcohol versus not serve alcohol it like it makes sense why you wouldn't but so that the same you don't t- get out of hand yeah but at the same time who goes to one sober it's weird yeah says the girl who's never gone i've been to like two have you yeah
1: (laughs) yeah girl (laughs) with the the combative energy you said that with makes me think it's not true (laughs) it's like the guy it's like i'm i'm not a virgin (laughs) i've had the sex (laughs) i've made the sex okay sex before okay
0: (laughs) so ronald loudly yelled toward vincent you motherfucker And then he turned to the black woman and said, quote, hey, honey, don't you pay attention to those little fuckers. They wouldn't know a good dancer if they'd seen one. This angered Vincent, who got up and confronted the two white men a few chairs away. Ronald and Michael stood up when Vincent approached and several witnesses, including the dancers, heard Ronald throw racial slurs and then yell, it's because of you fuckers that we're all out of work. So what Ronald's referencing is the recent negative impact that Japan's auto industry was having on Detroit's auto industry, which resulted in a lot of job losses for Detroit residents. So beginning in the 1800s, the auto industry put Detroit on the map as one of the most bustling American cities. The manufacturing job opportunities in Detroit ballooned their population to over 2 million people, but it also led to major racial discrimination and tensions. Immigrants and people of color would move to Detroit for job opportunities, only to be rejected because of their skin tone and cultural background. The racial tension alone motivated several white residents to leave the area altogether, which ironically opened up even more jobs, yet minorities were still often rejected or overlooked. And then as the years went on, gas prices went up and foreign-made vehicles, which were typically smaller and more fuel-efficient, started making their way to the States, Detroit's auto industry began to crumble. In fact, the worldwide changes in the auto industry had such a direct negative impact on Detroit, it eventually leads the city to filing for bankruptcy in 2013. But back in 1982, when Ronald is blaming Vincent for their job losses and declining economy, nobody knew what would become of the city at the time. All he knows is that the Japanese-owned Mitsubishi is making a name for itself in the auto industry, and it's impacting him and everyone he knows negatively.
1: And his stepson now. Did his stepson just lose his job? Yeah, that's
0: why I said him and everyone he knows. Oh, cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And his stepson. I'm listening. (laughs) It was literally a proof of like, (laughs) I am fully present here. I did not zone out. And I just want to prove it. (laughs) I want to let you know and our listeners know. (laughs) Big big brain girl.
0: (laughs) But just to show how ignorant Ronald was, uh, Vincent was Chinese, not Japanese. So after Ronald throws out racial slurs and makes the accusation about Japan impacting American jobs, Vincent gets into a physical altercation with uh, he and Michael And then Vincent's friends are right behind him and this big, chaotic, drunken brawl happens. Ronald picked up a chair and attempted to throw it at Vincent, but he missed and actually hit his stepson Michael square in the head, splitting it open. So a bouncer, you know, comes over and breaks it all up and he kicks everybody out of the building. While they're all spilling out into the parking lot, everyone is still yelling and Vincent allegedly calls Ronald chicken shit Michael goes to the trunk of his car and he pulls out a Louisville Slugger baseball bat. And this is when Vincent and his friends just take off running. Ronald and Michael lose sight of them, but they're determined to track the group down. Ronald even paid a guy outside the strip club $20 to, quote, help find the Chinaman, unquote. How much time they spent searching for Vincent and his friends is different based off of who you ask. Ronald insists it was only five to ten minutes. While most witnesses claim that they searched for 20 to 30 minutes, they found the group at a nearby McDonald's on Woodward Avenue. And that whole searching detail, I just felt like that was so reminiscent of Ahmed Aubrey's murder. Like this was a deliberate hunt for a human being. Yeah.
1: Not just like you're, you're seeing red, you freak out, you hurt somebody and then you calm down. It's like, you had plenty of time to.
0: Like this dispersed. Like they were kicked out and and both parties, you know, separated and they took off in the middle of of the night. And like the fact that, I mean, it was, it's it's just a, it's a deliberate hunt and it's, it's really terrifying. Michael pulled into the parking lot and before he has even stopped the car, Ronald jumps out with a bat in his hand. Michael wasn't expecting this and he accidentally runs over Ronald's foot and then puts the car in park, not realizing his stepdad's foot is below the tire. You get him back for the uh, busted head thing, though. Well, I mean, OK, that and the in the busted head, Idiots. like throwing a chair at him, like it just shows the IQ level we're dealing with. They're trying to fight with another group of people and they just can't stop hurting each other. Well, I mean, that's a direct correlation of being a racist, I think. It's just having a very low IQ. That's a really good point. <laughs> There were over two dozen customers in McDonald's at the time. You see 200? Um, two dozen. Oh, is it 200? I, just, I, thought I was like, Jesus Christ. I, I thought I skipped a paragraph, so I went back and double-checked. Sorry. Maybe I did say 200. <laughs> this McDonald's be popping. Be popping <laughs> off. Oh, my God. There were over two dozen customers in McDonald's at the time, including two off-duty police officers. Vincent had been sitting outside while his friends had gone inside the restaurant, but when he saw the two men from the strip club like roll up like this, he took off running down the middle of the street. Michael caught up to him and held him in place while Ronald swung the bat at Vincent's legs. Vincent cried out and dropped to his knees just as Ronald swings the bat again and hits him in the midsection, shattering several ribs. Ronald stood back and swung again, this time hitting Vincent in the head, knocking him unconscious. Two dozen people witnessed this entire scene. Two dozen people watched Ronald hit Vincent in the head with the bat over and over and over again, despite the first blow knocking him out. The two off-duty officers were the first to reach them and pull Ronald away, and only then did Ronald stand back to take in the severity of what he had done. He turned to one of the cops and said, I didn't mean to hurt him that bad. However, the officer later stated that the way Ronald was swinging the bat at Vincent's head, it looked like he was trying to hit a home run over and over and over again. Ronald and Michael were arrested and taken to the Highland Park Police Station, but they were released hours later without being charged. They both went to work the next day as if nothing had happened. Vincent, on the other hand, was rushed to Henry Ford Hospital where he spent the next four days in a coma. His mother, Lily, and his soon-to-be bride, Vicky, never left his side once. But then at 9.50 p.m. on June 23rd, Vincent died from his injuries. And on June 29th, the day after what would have been Vincent and Vicky's wedding day, his loved ones buried him. Before slipping into the coma that he never woke up from, Vincent's last words were, It's not fair. The day that Vincent died, Ronald came home from work, and after finishing dinner, his wife calmly broke the news to him, Vincent died today. Ronald recalled finishing chewing his food, setting his fork down, and he just didn't really have a reaction, and he moved on with his evening. His only real concern became for himself and whether or not there would be any recourse. And initially, it looked as if there wouldn't be any because this story only made the local news. If it weren't for the unprecedented uproar that it triggered in the local Asian-American community, I don't know that anyone would know Vincent's story today or that his killers would have ever set foot in a courtroom. But they did, although it was disappointing, to say the least. Seven months after Vincent's murder, Ronald and Michael went before a judge where they pled guilty to manslaughter. The Detroit court system was so overwhelmed at the time, the prosecutor's office didn't have anyone available to show up to argue on Vincent's behalf. So Judge Charles Kaufman ruled that Vincent's death was an accident after a barroom brawl, and he sentenced both Michael and Ronald to three years probation. They were each fined $3,000 and required to pay $780 in court fees. In defense of his ruling, Judge Charles Kaufman said that Ronald and Michael were not the types of people that you send to prison. He said, quote, because neither had been in trouble with the law before and because of their stable family and work backgrounds. We're talking here about a man who's held down a responsible job for 17 or 18 years and his son is employed and is a part-time student. I just don't think putting them in prison would do any good for them or society. You don't make the punishment fit the crime. You make the punishment fit the criminal, unquote. Ken Yi, the president of the Detroit Chinese Welfare Council, said that Judge Kaufman's ruling in defense of it was equal to, quote, a license to kill for $3,000, provided you have a steady job or are a student and the victim is Chinese. So the sentencing, like, I mean, if you can even call it that, is what brought this story to the national news and it triggered huge civil rights protests throughout Detroit and all over the country. Vincent's mom, Lily, marched alongside them and she bravely spoke at rallies and granted interviews with the press in an attempt to get as much attention on her son's murder as possible. So a demographic that was historically deemed passive came out in full force to demand stronger federal hate crime legislation. In an article written by Becky Little for history.com, she says, quote, although there were some instances of pan Asian American activism before Vincent Chin, his murder marked a turning point for Chinese Americans, Japanese Americans, and other communities who hadn't previously thought of themselves as Asian Americans with common interests. Protesters argued that if a murder charge didn't apply, then at the very least, Michael and Ronald had to have violated Vincent's civil rights. However, this crime predated hate crime laws in the United States. According to Wikipedia, at the time of Judge Kaufman's ruling, government officials, politicians, and several prominent legal organizations generally dismissed the theory that civil rights laws should be applied to this case. The Detroit chapters of the American Civil Liberties Union and the National Lawyers Guild did not consider Vincent's killing a violation of his civil rights. Can you believe that? I I have so many opinions, (laughs) and I'm trying to hold them till the end. (laughs) (laughs) This led to the birth of a pan-Asian-American grassroots civil rights organization called American Citizens for Justice, who really shone a light on this case and called for proper action. And because they did that, this triggered an investigation by the FBI. And the FBI found that Ronald and Michael had in fact violated Vincent's civil rights and they're both charged with several counts. And I'm just like, thank God, because how could you ever argue that? How could you ever argue that a civil that rights being mur- were not- That being murdered. That, yeah, that that's <laughs> yeah. not a violation of your civil rights. That's just not included, I guess. I guess. Well, not if you're Chinese, I guess. After the trial, Michael Nitz was acquitted of all charges and he walked free. Ronald was found guilty and sentenced to 25 years in prison, but he appealed, his conviction was overturned, and he was granted a new trial that was moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, because they felt like the local community in Detroit was too biased now. It's not racist enough. Yeah. So in in the trial in Cincinnati, uh, the jurors found him not guilty, and Ronald also walked free. However, Vincent's mother filed a civil suit against her son's killers and she won it, which was huge. Both Michael and Ronald were ordered to pay restitution to the estate of Vincent Chin, funds that were meant to provide financial support for his mom. Her husband had died a year before Vincent, and so he had been supporting her financially at the time of his death. And he was, you know, projected to continue doing so for at least the rest of her life. Michael was ordered to pay Lily $50,000 in $30 weekly installments. He made good on his debt, and eventually he paid her the full sum. Ronald was ordered to pay Lily $1.5 million in $200 monthly installments, yet he has never paid a dime. Every 10 years, Vincent Chin's estate can refile their civil suit to try to get Ronald to pay up, yet every decade that passes, he still won't pay. He has chosen to remain unemployed and instead lives off his wife's earnings. This way, the government can't seize his income. So with accrued interest, the original $1.5 million that he owed has ballooned into $8 million. How do you stay married to this man? Like, I know that that's a totally separate... That's a totally separate thing, honey. But, yeah... Okay. I mean, I, I think like we're all ignorant to the things that we don't know, but none of us have to stay that way because, you know, educating yourself, especially in this day and age where we all have all the information in the world at our fingertips. There's no excuse anymore. Literally being ignorant in today's time is, is a, a choice. choice. It's yeah. completely a choice. In the ignorance that Ronald Evans has stubbornly held on to. His refusal to see why what he did was not only wrong, but catastrophic for Vincent and his loved ones. And the fact that he has refused to pay a dime to Vincent's estate just shows who he is at his core. So if Michael Nitz has ever spoken on this publicly, I can't find any record of it. Ronald has spoken to the press only a handful of times over the years, and his ignorance is on full display every time. But it was in a 1987 article with the documentarian, Michael Moore, where Ronald made the most detailed, ignorant remarks. And I didn't want anyone to be like, well, that was back in 1987. Maybe he's different today. So I went ahead and I cross-referenced the interviews that he's done more recently. And his tone, his argument, his logic, it's all the same. Ronald insisted that Vincent not only started the whole fight by sucker punching him out of nowhere but he claims that it was clear to everyone that Vincent and his friends were out looking for trouble. Ronald said he is only responsible for defending himself that night. And because he insists that Vincent started it, he said, quote, if he hadn't started it, he'd still be alive. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's right that he died. All I'm saying is that if he hadn't started it, he'd still be alive. They were looking for trouble and they got it. The guy who walks away without getting hurt is the guy who has won, unquote. Can you imagine Michael Moore hearing this? Oh, oh my God! I mean, he, I would like to
1: see a clip of that.
0: Yeah, he. It was. Uh, I think it was before he even made his first documentary, and the article is really interesting to read mm-hmm. because you can tell Michael Moore is like, you know, what his the bias, is a bias? Yeah, but he was one of the first people to convince Ronald to do an interview, so he was. He had to remain very neutral okay. the whole time, but you can just—it's difficult. But you know, like, you know exactly, exactly how he feels. His, yeah. Ronald swears that the fight had nothing to do with racism or the auto industry, and he makes this disgusting remark in the interview, like about you know how beautiful the dancers were. So like, why would I be talking? Why would I be thinking about hating Asian people and thinking of the audio industry when they're like, there's naked chicks everywhere. Literally, like that—that that was his argument. It's just like, okay. In fact, remember that Ronald. Was offended after allegedly witnessing Vincent tip the black dancer a smaller amount than the white dancer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Ronald claims that he can't be accused of being racist towards Vincent because he believes he was standing up to racism towards the black woman. I
1: knew this was going to be an argument at and some point. Just, I was just waiting for it. Literally, that's yeah. his
0: lot. and I'm like, you're
1: stupid. The stupidity. A- <laughs> that was ironic. The well, stupidity. The stupidity. <laughs> it
0: angers us to the point that we can't speak, but. It's just, it's unbelievable. So then on the topic of the $1.5 million settlement that he owed Lily Chin, he said that he had no intention of paying her a dime and that, quote, it is my fervent wish that I live long enough to pay off the entire amount. That'll be when I'm 672 years old. He said that he felt that the Asian American community was using him unfairly to push their own agenda. He said he has no idea what their issue is He doesn't know why they're so angry. And he believes that they seized an opportunity to hang him to send a message. He said, quote, what would have been gained by sending me to prison except to appease them? They blew the killing all out of proportion. (laughs) Vincent and I were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it's too bad, you know, especially for him. At least I'm alive. But they, the Asian American groups, used the press. They used the federal government. They sued everybody on this thing. I don't know who the hell they are and I have absolutely no use for them. I don't even know them. I've never even been around them. The only ones I had ever met are the ones in the Chinese restaurants and they were always (laughs) nice to me and I was always nice to them, unquote. As I mentioned earlier, a year before Vincent died, his father had died. So while Vincent was working as an engineer and doing really well for himself, He was now suddenly a 26 year old who's now responsible financially responsible for his mother so at the time of his death vincent was making extra money working at a chinese restaurant in ferndale and when i read his comment about the chinese people in the restaurants i'm like i know that we'll never know but how do you know that vincent wasn't one of them in 2010 a legal milestone marker was erected to commemorate vincent's killing it's located at the intersection of Woodward Avenue and Nine Mile Road in Ferndale, Michigan. Vincent's fiance, Vicki, eventually married and had two children. She has chosen not to speak on this publicly because she feels it's too painful even all these years later. Vincent's mother, Lily, passed away in 2002, but before she did, she established a scholarship in Vincent's memory that American Citizens for Justice is responsible for administering. If Vincent were alive today, He would have celebrated his 67th birthday a few weeks ago on May 18th because he was a tourist, tourist just like you. In a New York Times piece from 2012, Frank H. Wu writes about how Vincent's death catalyzed political activity among Asian Americans like never before. He said, quote, remember Vincent Chin turned into a rallying cry. For the first time, Asian Americans of every background angrily protested in cities across the country. For all that Asians had been through, racial exclusion, starting with the ban on Chinese migrant labor in 1882, the unconstitutional detention of Japanese Americans during World War II, the legacy of America's wars in the Philippines, Korea, and Vietnam, no single episode involving an individual Asian American had ever had such an effect before, and none has since. And that is the story of Vincent Chin. I was about to ask you at the end um before you said that long
1: quote if he had any remorse about the like the direct act of killing him but it
0: sounds like he feels like he is just as much a victim and if anything just like lucky to get out alive that's his attitude is like you know it's almost like they were two dogs in a fighting pit and he didn't have a say the best man won, kind of thing and the only thing that he has said ever that insinuates that he feels bad or he recognizes this was wrong is that he says that um, being responsible for Vincent Chin's murder is the only, I'm sorry, he doesn't use the word murder, death. He says that is the only thing that he's ever done bad in his entire life. And I'm like, is it, Ron? I have a hard (laughs) time believing that,
1: bud. (laughs) Is it? Wow. I mean, I've never heard that story. That was, I mean, really well done. Thanks. Told it very well. That was very informative. And um, I also would just like to say for that judge that's listening, if he is listening. (laughs) Judge Charles Kaufman.
0: (laughs) Listen up, buddy. This is to you.
1: (laughs) How many murders do we cover? There is like a, there is a whole category of killings or murders or murderers that live double lives that have, you know, have started businesses that have children that, you know, graduated first in their class. Mm hmm. And they, this has is the nothing. first, mur- the first crime they ever committed, other than having, you know, a, a, a speeding ticket, is murder. If you're
0: gonna do criminal acts, you gotta start somewhere. <laughs> Seriously, like, there's always a stepping stone. Like there <laughs> literally is, and in the fact, I mean, these are two white guys who killed a Chinese guy, and this judge is in Detroit, and I'm like, you know, how many times his comment about like fitting the punishment to the criminal, not the crime, I'm like, that is the most ass backwards thing and you're a judge. And he's just saying it because of the situation that it is. If it had been a Chinese person who killed a white person, well it wouldn't have mattered that he was working multiple jobs and about supporting to get his supporting his mom. mother. None of that would have mattered. It doesn't it doesn't matter. It's just a, a justification for his own racist views and Absolutely. decisions.
1: Well I'm really happy you covered that today. It was a good start to our season two.
0: Yeah. I think so, too.
1: Well, love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening. We owe everything to the many journalists, authors, filmmakers, psychiatrists, and psychologists whose extensive work and expertise we pulled from to share this episode with you. To view detailed source material, as well as content from today, please visit us on Instagram and TikTok at Shorty's Podcast. We really love doing this show, and if you'd like to help with the continued creation of it, you can support by donating to our Patreon, patreon.com slash shortiespodcast. This episode was hosted by Ashley Brumley-Johnson and Ana Katerina.